X-Ray. It's the Beervana Show, broadcast in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. My name is Patrick Emerson. I am the host of this show. <laughs> and with me is Jeff Allworth. Hi, Jeff. I'm the sidekick. Hi, Patrick. How are you doing? Yeah, uh, yeah, sidekick. You know. The color man. Gotta, I, I, I need you uh, from time to time to kind of fill in the the little nicks, nooks and crannies. The, otherwise, the, it's my show. The, the Ed McMahon to your Johnny Carson. Since Yeah, exactly. That's the <laughs> perfect analogy. Yeah. So you just guffaw at my jokes. <laughs> no one is and, getting this. We are so old and so dated and say something stupid And say something stupid about beer once in a while. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we are we are joining you from or we're joining each other and you, dear listener, from our respective homes. We are still socially distant. I was saying to Jeff that it was my unforced error because he suggested maybe today we should get together in the outdoors and do this. And I demurred, thinking because I'm kind of a wimp, if I sit around for a couple hours in the cold, then I I don't like it. But it's not. It's beautiful outside, and and we're kind of getting into that place where our ability to infect each other is getting diminished because dun 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 we both got shots have you gotten both of yours no no we both are in our first i my i got my shot just two days before you oh well there you go yeah so, but we both got the pfizer right i got the pfizer that's correct yeah so we both got the pfizer and so yeah we're sort of midway through that regime which by the way data suggests that we're still we're already pretty good but uh but yeah, uh, I was more worried about the cold. But I also said, yeah, once we once once we're done, then then we're golden. We can we can like you know kiss each other on the lips and stuff. Yeah. So after a <laughs> whole year of this, we may actually start getting back. And we did we did do a few podcasts. Yeah, uh, and, a, and a lot of our friends because we did this last week, and a lot of our friends are teachers. And right. teachers in Oregon got put first in line, almost first in line, not exactly after the after the elder care facilities and really old people. Yeah, we, um, we have social workers. Like my, and, like my mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have social workers and teachers uh, who are friends, and they're all getting... Uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, uh, we have... In fact, in fact, it's the connection to the Veterans Administration that got a couple people their shots early. Yeah. So, yeah, we had this whole group of people all vaccinated, and I was thinking, yeah, in a few weeks, that group will be able to be pretty cavalier about everything, totally. which is kind of exciting. It's it's really exciting. I mean, I, I don't know how long I've been saying this, but I've always had the f May uh, in my sights as like the moment when maybe maybe life comes back to normal. And uh, yeah. you know, well, for you, it'll be getting close. Yeah, yeah, for us because we'll be done with our regime by May. Well, and even if you haven't gotten your shot, it's it's warm enough to be sitting outside, so that comes back, and then the you know the shots do come yeah. on at some point, and we're going to start hitting uh, something like herd immunity at some point. Surely this yeah. summer. I will so. spare a thought to those of you in other parts of the world where vaccines are sl are more slowly rolling out. So yeah, hundred percent. Uh, my con my condolences. I you know as a development economist, I know that there's a lot of parts of the world that don't even have any access basically right now. So um, I do uh, I do recognize those disparities and and the lament. and the United States is behaving rather boorishly on that front, and I'm aware of that, and it feels like a. a um, slightly conflicted about that but um yeah yeah so, it's um, a little troubling that the vaccines that are going to be widely available to other parts of the world are having a little bit of hiccups there with the blood clotting issue and stuff so um hopefully that's not that will be discovered not to be 
something of major concern. It's tiny, tiny, tiny percentage anyway. So uh, anyway, right. uh, this is this is good uh, life. There there is prospect of life getting back to normal in the future for everyone. I hope uh, it might take a little while, um, but yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, I, as I mentioned, the host of the show, Patrick Emerson. I in my day job, I'm a professor at Oregon State University. Uh, go bees! Why don't you introduce yourself, sidekick? I am Jeff Allworth. I write about beer, and you, yeah. You- so that's the point, right? Like, well. I need I need somebody who knows something about beer to to drive my to you know as as an apprentice to my show. I mean, we talk about beer here and there, and in, 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 amid yeah. amid talking <laughs> about the weather and talking about COVID and talking about the <laughs> geography of Portland, Oregon. I mean, you know, sometimes we talk about beer. You are Jeff Allworth. You are actually a, a very accomplished beer writer. Have written many books, including the Beer Bible. The new edition is going to come out soon, so get ready, everybody. Open those wallets. I know you've been saving up during COVID. There's been nothing to spend your money on. Pretty soon, it's true. You need the new. The new edition will cost you a tiny bit more. It's going to be twenty five dollars instead of twenty bucks this year. So. <sighs> That's nothing. That's pennies. That's it, pennies. It's the too- new beer Bible is going to come out. It's going to set you up for the opening at the post COVID opening of all the restaurants and brew pubs and breweries. You're going to be set. So so get in line. Pre order now. No, can you pre order now? Maybe too early to pre order. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Don't pre order. But but. But put that twenty five dollars aside now. That's right. So that you can pre order when the pre order comes uh, comes through. The Secrets of the Master Brewers. You also wrote. You also wrote the Widmer Way, uh, and other things that escape me now. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> but it was pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you and you author the 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 uh, Beervana uh, blog. And for those of you who are younger than thirty five. A blog is a place where you can go and read the written, written word on the internet. And yeah, you're giving me crap about the blog like that's a new thing. You gave me crap about my blog uh, when it was still young uh, and hit. You were still giving me crap about the. You've always given me crap about the blog. I'm. You should be proud of your blog. I am. That's a good. That's a good blog. I am very proud of my blog. I am the champion Thanks. of the blogs. I self-identify as a blogger. So there you go. Wow, really? I mean, it's a word. I it's probably not the very it's first more, word I use. But. You're more like a man than I ever knew. Okay, <laughs> I'm a man of the people. All right, we should we should get going. Uh, actually, this is this is this was your this was your suggestion for the 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 pod today. This is a good one because the COVID pandemic, for all its ravages, did create a few positive opportunities. A year ago, as breweries looked at their empty tanks and blank brewing schedules, they launched long-term projects like barrel-aging stouts. They were able to fire up the kettles to replenish, expand, or even start new barrel-aging programs, salting away stores for later release. Breweries like Breakside are just now putting out the first fruits of these projects, and the coming year will present drinkers with a bounty of these specialty ales. Get ready. <laughs> it's going to be a tidal wave. Yeah. We thought this was a good time to have a look at what they're doing. Uh, so this was uh, excellent. Uh, as an economist, I would say that you know uh, putting beer aside and waiting is very expensive. But when you have this dip in demand, it's the perfect opportunity. Right. So, and it makes all kinds of sense. Yeah. So we'll talk about that in a moment. But first, before that, we have to give you the news. Association released their final annual report for 2020 recently. 
the top line number isn't positive. Craft was down 9% from the year before. as compared to a 3% drop for beer overall. Yet everything is relative. A year ago in April 2020, when the BA surveyed mem- their members, 60% of responding breweries said they couldn't sustain their business at current levels for another three months, which is kind of a shocking number, and it panicked everybody. Yeah. Remarkably, however, only 346 breweries closed in 2020 as compared to the 716 that opened. So, you know, <laughs> uh, beer cra- the, the craft segment was down, but man, uh, breweries are surviving, which is amazing. Yeah, so far. I, and, and I think it's been pretty remarkable how they've been nimble and pivoted. And so congratulations to all those breweries. I know that there's still a lot of stress out there, so yeah. I don't want to under undersell that. But I mean, 346 breweries, uh, that's 2020. There's also 2021 that's going to be tough still. But right. uh, but yeah, that's 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 a that's a that's a triumph, I think. It is, and that's just in case not everybody has it right at their fingertips. There's over 8,000 breweries in the United States, so uh, the 346 is you know it, it's it's a substantial number, but it's but it could have been a lot worse. Um, yeah, it's a very small percentage. And to your point, I would say that I, I one thing that really impressed me in the past year is watching breweries scramble. Uh, brewers ha- are known for being nimble already, and they're very creative, and they're always tinkering with their business models. And so, you know, there was about a week after COVID hit and they were, they were dying where they fell on the ground. But then after about a week, they got up, dusted themselves off and started doing things like what we're going to talk about today, which is how do we, how do we move forward? Let's be creative. Let's figure it out. And as an industry, I think that they, they were more resilient than most. And I compare them to restaurateurs who, who did not seem to adjust nearly as as well or as fast so yeah and i think part of that's just because you can package a beer and then it can sit in the fridge for a while and and so it makes it a little more versatile in that sense Um, it's true although so many restaurants sat there for months without even trying to do takeout or anything else Uh, that i just i just saw like a lot less trying stuff from restaurants Yeah. yeah that may be true uh yeah i think that uh um yeah, I mean, I've been really impressed with the local brewers around here who found lots of different ways to reach customers, to get their beer out, to to deliver it themselves, to uh, to get on social media, and and I think it's been a phenomenal uh, effort on their part and a phenomenal response by consumers who have really stepped up and 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 realized that this is something that's important to them, not just the beer itself, but the these businesses are important to them. Yeah, we talked about so, that last week, and that uh, brewer mentioned that it's a really important point. We did. All right. In other Brewers Association news, the trade group also released their annual largest breweries list. One includes all U.S. breweries, and the other, those breweries the BA designates as craft. <laughs> That's a whole can of words we're not going to do. Right. What is becoming increasingly clear now is how a few major U.S. breweries remain wholly independent. The designation of craft in a scrambled world of brewery collectives, craft-made flavored malt beverages and seltzers, and partial buyouts has very little meaning anymore. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should. Uh, it, it, the the word has been fraught for a decade, but boy, it just looking at those lists, I just thought, you know, these why are, the, the this doesn't make any sense anymore. <laughs> Maybe they should just track all breweries under a million barrels or something. It would make so much more sense. 
Yeah, I mean, I understand the Brew Association position, which is they're trying to represent a certain segment of the market. But yeah, it's getting it's getting very hard to tell. And there's there's you know independent craft breweries who are sort of teaming up and coming collectives, as you've mentioned. And now they're bigger businesses as a collective that's sort of over and above the threshold, perhaps. But uh, there are, there are breweries that have been sold but basically operate independently. Uh, it gets really hard to to, to yeah, and then there's things parse like, these terms. It really does. There's things like Boston Beer, where they you know beer is no longer even the main purpose of the the company, and <laughs> and they're you know a member in good standing. And it's how do you yeah? It, it just it, it it's really a can of worms at this point. Yeah. Uh, by the way, what what uh, uh, what is going on? It, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot because I don't know if you remember the numbers. So, but but uh, what, what is going on with the legacy craft brewers these days? The, uh, the Sierra, Sierra Nevada, Boston Brewing, you know. Yeah, uh, it, 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 Goose it, Island. it really varies. I think Sierra had a great year last year. Um, and like Deschutes continued to not have a great year. Uh, yeah. They fell a couple of spots in the list. Um, so, it, it, you know, some brewers are doing handling this better than others um and it you know the, the these moments like covid uh you know we had the the great recession a decade ago and now we have covid these really kind of test business models and approaches and and we're, we're seeing yeah. that man sierra nevada just blows me away constantly like uh an amazing, just an amazing company like right there at the beginning of the whole craft like big part of the whole craft beer revolution in the united states and then uh, you know, you could still pick up a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and think about it as a modern craft beer. It just, yeah, it's amazing. Well, and and a big part of their success is Hazy Little Thing. You know, they they yep. figured out they're like, okay, here's the new trend. We do hops. Let's let's do a beer that is on trend, but it's very Sierra. Uh, strengthens the brand. Um, they still sell a ton of pale ale. Um, yeah, they're a model brewery. I mean, I, they should they should teach it in business classes. They're they're fantastic. I'm sure they do. <laughs> yeah, probably do. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the main topic. Oops, I have to. I have to scroll. Uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, so, uh, actually, I didn't really need to scroll because I know what the main topic is. The main topic is barrel aged beer. So, as we pointed out before, you pointed out. Actually, I didn't have any idea, uh, but it makes all kinds of sense as an economist, as I mentioned before, that all of these brewers suddenly see this big dip in demand because of this sort of. Fur- forced uh, uh, closure or forced reduction uh, from COVID uh, have all of this equipment in which to make beer, but not necessarily enough demand to sell all the beer today. So what do you do? Well, you do the thing that would normally be really expensive uh, and now uh, isn't so much because you can just go ahead and store that beer on barrels. So uh, why don't you take it from there? Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, I was kind of alerted to all of this when Breakside reached out with that they were releasing some new beers, one of which you have in front of you, which is cool. We'll try that one. I do. Yeah. Um, thanks to you. Yeah. Uh, and they- I knew, I knew there was a reason I brought you onto this podcast. Uh, you know, I have the beer. This whole endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever sends me beer, by the way. No one ever sends me beer. It's But that's okay because they send you a lot. Well, so I get a lot. And actually more and more, they're sending it for the podcast and I try to convey it to you. So you're down, oh, yeah. you're, you're getting it downstream, but you, you wanted, that's good. You want me to handle all that. So they do, they send it to me. So it's all that's you, good. Yeah. Actually, own, I really don't want beer coming to my house. <laughs> it's your own damn fault. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, um, Breakside was doing an interesting thing with their barrel program. And I don't want to talk about that until we kind of walk through the whole, the whole process, but it alerted me to this, this 
phenomenon that that brewers are doing this when i was talking to them they said yeah you know we our our <laughs> our volume just fell off the, the face of the planet and we were looking around and thinking what can we do and in fact they they had a barrel aging program but it was something they really had to shoehorn in these beers take a long time in the brew house uh, take just, a lot of space and then and then they take a lot of space in the barrel room. So, right. you know, they're just not efficient. And when you're humming, if you're, you know, your production schedule is up, you, you know, it's hard to shoehorn these beers into the, the, the schedule. Um, but when your tanks are just sitting there and everything's just sitting there, it's a really good time to, to do this. And I'm, I'm, you know, I started talking about this another brewery said, Oh yeah, we did, we did the same thing that <laughs> everybody's, uh, figuring out how to, how to keep production up. And, you know, it's, it's sort of like, I'm reminded of the farm, you know, what do you do? Well, you figure out ways to preserve things for later when you have bounty. And uh, that's kind of what they're doing. It's like, well, we have a production bounty now. So how do we, how do we, how do we make beer now that we can sell later? And right. So to prepare you for this tidal wave of barrel aged beer, that's going to come your way. uh, We decided to podcast on it. So Jeff, uh, barrel aged beer seems like uh, something that's been around uh, since the beginning of craft beer, like in my mind, it's been it's always sort of been there. But uh, this isn't true. Uh, why don't you tell us about how barrel aging started? Yeah, it's a cool story because it's a really American story. Um, it, it's like IPA. It's one of those things that was born here in the United States and and from a a series of circumstances that are really American, which is cool. Uh, we got we go back to Goose Island, which we mentioned recently when Josh Noel was here on the podcast. Um, they were coming up on their thousandth beer and trying to think of something special to brew and hadn't come up with any idea when they did this uh, beer, bourbon, and cigars event um, near Chicago. It wasn't actually in Chicago. I can't remember where it was done. And uh, they were hanging out, and w- w- the bourbon was being represented by uh, – uh, Jim Beam and the master distiller Booker No, who's kind of a legend in that industry, was on site, uh, and all the brewers. So these are this is like you know mid '90s. So the brewery hasn't been open a super long time, and everybody's young and um, kind of green, and they're all gathered around Booker No, who was who was a uh, you know at, even at that point getting to be up there in in years and had you know, great, that great Southern storytelling tradition. And he just started spinning out stories and everybody kind of fell under his thrall. Um, and he, and he, he told a story at one point that really kind of captured, uh, Greg Hall, uh, who was, uh, there at the time, uh, the, the John's son, who was the kind of would become the, 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 the brewer, uh, at the brewery. Um, and I'm going to read you the quote, uh, which I, I, I gathered for a, uh, a story, and it kind of led to a, a series of thinking that, that led to this process. Um, after, after they drained the barrels, uh, Booker No said, and this is, um, this is where the quote starts, they would fill uh, an emptied barrel with a couple gallons of spring water and roll it around in the yard, drain that, and put it in, a, in tall iced tea glass with a bunch of ice. They drank it like iced tea at the end of the day. And Booker said, yeah, you know, they're kind of wet. They have, they have liquor in them. And um, you can pull that out when you put, put some water in there. Right. 
And then, and then they got to talking, and it turns out, of course, uh, by law, you got to dump these barrels anyway. They're no good to the distillery. You have to use a fresh barrel every time you make bourbon. So they have yeah, all- the virgin, a virgin oak barrel, right? Yeah, totally. The virgin white oak, I think. In fact, virgin white oak barrel. All right. Well, I I'm not a bourbon guy, so I try. I'll leave that to you. Yeah, but this is why it's cool because it's like a unique American story, right? We've got all of these barrels coming from uh, uh, Kentucky. Right, right. And and making a kind of whiskey that is, is native to the, the country too, which is right. also cool. Um, so then they had the idea and he said, uh, Booker, I think it was actually Booker who suggested it. Why don't I send you some barrels and you can put some beer in it the same way and, and that'll be interesting. And the idea was hatched and then, you know, a few weeks later, these barrels came and the brewery, they decided to put stout in it. And it was kind of a fateful decision because, you know, mm. they could have put a Pilsner in there. They could have put a Pale Ale. <laughs> you know, they, there was no blueprint. There was no, I was not obvious that you would put a, an Imperial stout in that, in that barrel. Uh, but it, but by serendipity, <laughs> it turned out he, he chose really wisely uh, and did put an Imperial stout in, in that uh, those barrels. And that became the first Bourbon County, uh, which was the first barrel age beer right i think uh you know uh, in in that kind of form of course wood, right. has, wood has been used in beer forever but 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 as a way of pulling some of the liquor out of the the barrel and and flavoring beer with liquor i i haven't seen uh, any tradition of that in my reading um and certainly not in the united states so it you know Ta-da! 1995, it turns out. Sometimes the brewery still says 92 because they had bad record record, record keeping, but... Uh, <laughs> but it was 95. But it was actually 95. <laughs> Josh Josh himself was the one who really nailed down the date uh, later on. So that's now, you know, 25, 26 years ago. So um, it, it, it feels like it's been around forever, partly because it's been around 25 years. Uh, and, and now it has become a much bigger phenomenon. And people put not only stout in there but they'll put stout and you know coffee or stout and vanilla or a bunch of other stuff in there uh to yeah. to make it uh f- to flavor it um in it sometimes just stout too but anyway that's that's where the tradition came from and it's got to be more than just a happy accident because of course you got to think about what will stand up to that bourbon flavor and if you put a little you know Hellas in there, it's probably going to get a little overwhelmed. So I imagine that that was a big part of it. You know, a big burly beer is going to be able to handle that better. Absolutely. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, bourbon's a very sweet whiskey and uh, imperial stouts have roast. And it turns out that that, right. that bitterness uh, is accentuated. You know, you can you can harmonize it nicely with the, the sweetness of the, the whiskey. Um, so I think and it this has well. Yeah. And now, and now people have, you know, they use Pinot barrels and white Pinot or, uh, you know, Chardonnay barrels. They use uh, yeah. rum barrel. Like it, right. it's now like people will take any kind of, any kind of barrel and, and try it, uh, try uh, aging beer on it. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there's a few British breweries that uh, are able to source some Scotch barrels, which is great. Um, you get a mm. you get a definitely a different different flavor from scotch than you do bourbon. It's not nearly as sweet. Um, so yeah, yeah. You're right. There's so much. I mean, uh, they call it the angel share, right? The stuff that gets evaporated and the stuff that gets absorbed into the wood. 
but that's a lot. I mean, it's, I can't remember, you probably know, five, 10% or something like that is how much they lose when they age bourbon on these barrels. Boy, I don't know. That's a good question. So there's, so there's a lot. I mean, there's basically still a lot of residual alcohol there. Um, and that's the thing, I think, especially early on, like it was hard to know uh, what the right, uh, that was one of the story, the part of the story, you may know this, I don't, um, but, it, but it seems like, uh, um, uh, Greg Hall got it sort of nailed it in terms of like how much the right kind of beer to put in there and for how long and kind of uh, got that harmonization down pretty well. Cause if it was really bad at first, or way too much bourbon or not enough, uh, then you can imagine that barrel aging might've sort of sputtered a bit. Right. Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, you know, it seems like, like you said, it seems like it's been around forever, partly because it, it, it worked. Uh, and yeah, it was a really fateful decision. I think, I think uh, a lot of attention was placed on what year Bourbon County was born, but I think less attention was placed on Greg's insight in to, in choosing which beer to put in there. And it was it was that was actually the really pivotal and and praiseworthy uh, decision. So I, I give him a lot mm-hmm. of credit for that. So should we start drinking yeah. these things? <laughs> well, we, yeah, we better because we have a lot here, and they're not small beers. Uh, so why don't I just go ahead because I think Breakside is kind of pretty straightforward in the sense that it's an imperial stout put in bourbon barrels and then here it is in the bottle, right? Yep. And I'm going to – we're we're socially distanced. So you have two beers. I have two beers, which is yeah. a, lo- a yeah. lot of stout. <laughs> so maybe I'll just I'll – just, maybe we should just start by saying which ones we have. I have the Breakside Space Music uh, Vintage 2021. So it's uh, imperial stout Asian bourbon barrels. And then I also have something we'll talk about soon, um, but it's uh, it's one from Freem that's actually aged in maple barrels, and we'll talk about what that is. And it's a smoked porter. So, but for right now, I'm going to open the Breakside Space Music. Very good. And while you do that, I will uh, identify my first beer, which is actually a Bourbon County. Uh, this is one I had in the larder. It actually dates back to 2014, I see, which is probably a little long in the tooth, but that's all right. We'll wow. we'll give it a try. And this one was blended with coffee. Uh, and it's it has become a thing for Bourbon County. Uh, they do different barrels with different stuff. So there's the basic, which is just stout, and then they put stuff in them from time to time. And this one's got coffee. So, so by the way, I'd just like to point out that I'm actually pouring this into a barrel-aged stout vintage 2021 glass that you provided. So I not only have the right beer, but it goes into actually the, the glass that goes with it. You can thank the brewery for that. Thank you, Brewery, for that. Uh, by the way, what was I about to say? Uh, something very insightful, which, of course, means that I've forgotten. This one was aged 14 months. Uh, I have nothing else to say about that. It's an 11.9% beer, so let's have all 22 ounces. <laughs> right. Yes, it's a good thing you have 22 ounces. Mine, mine is similarly robust at 12.6%, uh, which is... No shrinking violet. This. Okay, so the first thing that I notice, like I notice, I'm, you know, listeners of the show will know that I'm very sensitive to alcohol, and so on the nose, I immediately get the bourbon. Mm-hmm. Like the, it, to me, it always rises to the top of the nose. It just sits there, sort of like this shining note on top. Yeah, alcohol volatilizes, and so it sends up that mm. plume. Yeah, yeah. So that's what you get when you first, and if you kind of, you kind of breathe a little bit, then you start smelling the roast a little bit mm. oh that's really quite good actually mm. 
<laughs> I say actually. So I'll, I'll admit, uh, we talked about this before. I'm actually not the, the like, I, I won't sort of naturally gravitate to these big beers just because people know I'm a wimp. I don't tend to like big beers in general. Um, I drink dark beers, but in moderation, I'm not, that's usually not the first thing I'm going for. Like on a nice cold rainy night, I'll have a nice stout or something. But so uh, this isn't necessarily in my wheelhouse, but a good, uh, a really good barrel aged stout, well done, uh, I find pretty extraordinary. Because for me, that's a real thin band, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. No, I, I get that. These are these these are they are what they are, and they have they're very potently flavored. And if you if you don't like these flavors, they're not for you. Of course, one reason they are so popular and have had this enduring uh, place in in craft brewing is because for many people, uh, those flavors are delightful, and so they you know they yeah really love the way they work. So my beer is has aged very well. I'm, I'm glad you, when you open a <laughs> seven year old beer, you can really get anything. Uh, but it's yeah. there. It's, uh, I, I don't actually get very much oxidation at all. It's, there's a tiny bit, but it's, it's quite, quite minimal, which is amazing in, in a beer, uh, this old, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I get a lot of coffee. I get the same plume, but it's also venting a huge amount of coffee, which I wondered if I would get any coffee after seven years but right it's yeah. still here and it and it works really well it 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 um on the palate it's much more integrated the coffee notes really blend in with the roast notes which those two are very mm-hmm. close anyway but um uh they they harmonize uh they integrate in a way here uh, after seven years that makes them a little bit hard to see where one ends and the next one begins <laughs> and they they add a i think a great counterpoint to the to the sweeter bourbon uh so this is holding up nicely and it's a quite nice one i i, I you know bourbon county over the years different batches kind of have different qualities and sometimes it's too boozy for me it's it's one of the ones that's very strong and it's often really too hot and i'm not getting that here this one's really nice yeah uh, so i'll say with mine as people know, I I don't tend to love just alcohol, but the um, I do like a good bourbon, by the way, uh, although I don't drink it that much. This is really nice because it's expressing that bourbon flavor harmoniously and, and, and very present, but not with the sort of overwhelming alcohol that I often find with these uh, barrel-aged beers. Right. Even though it is a huge beer, it's 11.9%. It actually blends really well, and it's got a really rich, velvety back. The you know the the imperial stout that's in it is very smooth, very roasty, um, but uh, it harmonizes quite well. Let's see. Yeah, they say they got on the on the uh, bottle that they used uh, nine different casks to blend out the beer, which I think is also big, really important. So when you have really small brewers that just will put it in one barrel and hope. Yeah. Hope they get. Hope they get what they get. That can be a real crazy outcome. Exactly, and we're, I want to talk about what breaks I did because they they they've done a an innovation that I hadn't heard of, and I actually threw it out on Twitter to see if other breweries are doing uh-huh. it, and they hadn't okay. necessarily done it either. Um, and this and COVID allowed Breakside to do something really creative and fun. But do we have uh, an important message uh, for our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> this be, before we started the podcast, dear listener, Jeff said, oh, you be in charge of that. Don't worry. Uh, uh, in the middle of the podcast, you need to break in. Uh, he didn't trust me. 
I did not. Let's, I, let's I, let record show that Ed McMahon sort of uh, jumped in, jumped in front of the camera here. Well, I could tell that you were you were gone. You were, you, there's no way you're ever going to remember. Well, it's kind of uh, rhapsodizing about my uh, barrel-aged out. I do have to admit that's true. So uh, what he is referring to is that it is X-Ray FM fundraising time. And so we'd like to break for just a moment to encourage you to support X-Ray FM. As you might know, X-Ray is a non-commercial station and relies on support from listeners. It is a wonderful home for community content, from interesting political discussions to pop culture to amazing music, and of course, even a bit of beer. And what's, what's, what's better radio than... Two middle-aged guys drinking beer in the middle in the middle of the afternoon on a Thursday. Perfect. <laughs> but by giving just fifteen dollars a month, and this is serious, by giving just fifteen dollars a month, you can help us champion independent media and bring you programming that reflects the issues you care about, like beer, like beer, or politics, or lots of they have lots of cool shows on X Ray FM. That one of the cool things, one of the sad things about not being able to go into the studio is you don't get to meet all of the other people creating content there. Uh, just amazing, interesting, diverse people yeah. who involve an X-ray. It really is. So being a member-supported means we rely on our community to stand up and support us. You can become a member at $15 a month by calling 503-233-X-RAY. That's 503-233-9729 or going online at xray.fm slash donate. So I would actually really like to encourage you to do this. I think that uh, that non-commercial radio is rare, uh, especially community-oriented non-commercial radio. So we all know about the NPR uh, affiliated stations. They're doing just fine. Don't worry about them. Right. <laughs> but these little community radio stations really need your help. Uh, and um, we do this for free. Uh, I'll just <laughs> put that out there. They're not paying us for anything. Um, we really support the, the radio station as well. Um, and we hope that you will too. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's cool. Uh, it's a cool station. Uh, they do cool stuff, and it is diverse. And you know, community uh, stations are fun because you they are able to highlight uh, voices and uh, content that you're not going to hear on commercial stations. You know, that are not not the most mainstream, um, like beer, but uh, but <laughs> a bunch of other cool stuff that X Ray uh, has as well. And so uh, it's it's valuable to a community to have those voices. So give it a uh, give them a, some of your shekels if you have them and you wish to support it, we would appreciate it. And I know they would too. Yeah. There was a time when we were in the studio in between read arrive and the people who were just finishing up their cannabis, uh, show. Uh, and then we'd go into the studio and then after that, the, I think the architecture sort of design and architecture show was coming on. So, uh, really interesting stuff. Um, it's great. These kinds of radio stations are, are, uh, are fantastic, I think, community assets and, and worthy of your support. So I hope you'll consider just throwing them a few bones. Indeed. All right, should we get back to the beer? Uh, sure. <laughs> Let's get back to the beer. Now, back to the regular scheduled program. <laughs> That's right. And now, back I was to the beer. To say, I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and now, back to the beer. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm actually really, you know, I'm pretty picky. I'm, I'm really enjoying this break side, I think. Uh, so tell me how they made this magic through their nine barrels. Yeah, so... Uh, they made the beer formerly at Breakside the way most people do, uh, which is you make a batch of beer on your on your in your brewery, you know your ten or fifteen or thirty barrels, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then you take that wort and you you uh, ferment it out and put it in whiskey barrels, mm-hmm. so it's going to fill up you know ten or fifteen or thirty barrels or whatever however much 
liquid you you have you put it in those barrels and it fills it up and then you know you taste it and when you think it it's absorbed enough whiskey and absorbed enough oxygen and is kind of tasting good you blend it all back together bottle it up and send it out that's kind of that's kind of a classic way to do it uh but breakside cleverly thought about what if we crib a little from our wild program and and the you know the way that the wild brewers do it which is we'll take different base beers we'll brew up a bunch of different kinds of beer uh so we'll do imperial stouts we'll do milk stouts we'll do rye stouts we'll do american stouts that are very hoppy uh so we have a bunch of different textures and flavors in our base beer then we'll put all those in the in the uh the, the whiskey barrels, and then we'll begin to blend them at different ages. So, you know, mm. like this one here is actually ready now at six months, but this other one is not ready until 18 months. So ah. we wait and, and blend them that way. And what, what they come up with is a much more integrated kind of flavor. And, and, it, and when I went out to the brewery, it to taste what they were going for. It was great because they had a, a beer called Oligarch, which is their old uh, bourbon uh, stout that they had. And, and it's, and it was much more like a, uh, uh, just like somebody had dropped a shot of whiskey in the middle of it. You know, that exactly. It had, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It hadn't. That's really, what I didn't, that's what I didn't <laughs> like about a lot of those old ones. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it hadn't really integrated. And, and in this way they can, figure out ways to make all these flavors integrate in a more three-dimensional way instead of just like bourbon next to stout. Yeah, that's a perfect way of describing what I'm what I'm experiencing right now, which is very much uh, the the bourbon is is yeah, as you said, it's integrated into the beer itself. It's very much a part of it and not just the, the sort of flavor on top. Yeah. And that's a lot of the early ones I found were exactly like that. They were just like this whiskey bomb this bourbon bomb on top of a, a, a stout and it just didn't it was like two things i was drinking at the same time and and i didn't particularly care for it but these days uh, i'm finding more and more that people have enough experience but this one is in particular very much a, just a, a a rich uh integrated uh, set of flavors yeah it, it i i feel that way too and they they have a couple of them out and it's not even my favorite one my favorite one is one called cute metal uh which has more of the, their milk stout in it. Um, and it actually also, they put in vanilla and uh, chocolate, but um, at, at really low levels. So it's kind of hard to see them. Um, yeah. I and, mean, this one, I, I feel like I'm getting a coffee note. I'm, I, you know, they don't, they didn't add coffee. Uh, it could just be from the, the roast. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. In, in the one that I'm drinking. I'm, you know, they did add coffee, but it's exactly, it, you're, you're right. I mean, we often, say that there's coffee in the roast flavor just because it produces similar flavor so it's mm. wow this one is really really good it's still really big though <laughs> and i'm a small man i'm an old small man i know <clears throat> and we're getting smaller parts are falling <laughs> off we're shrinking i wish i was shrinking i'm kind of moving, <laughs> kind of moving in the opposite direction well first you first you get bigger and then you get smaller yeah, I'm waiting for the smaller part. I just I'm just holding out. Like I I could worry about the expanding waistline, or I just know that you know in another decade I'll just start shrinking. That's okay. Yeah, it'll happen naturally. Yeah, we we that's uh, right. We're in we're in the middle age, the expanding waistline phase, and then then we get into the old man shrinking, wasting away phase. 
So how long typically you, you talked about like six months, 18 months. I mean, what is the sort of common wisdom about how long a beer stays on a bourbon barrel or does it really just depend on the barrel? You know, a lot of times that's dic- dictated by production schedules and mm. uh, bourbon County is a good example. They just, they just do it a year, uh, roughly a year mm. because uh, you know, they can, they, they just, they release at the same time every year. It's not exactly a year because it, in order to stock up all those barrels, they have to they have to brew over a period of time. So they'll have some younger barrels uh, that didn't get the full full year along with right. the other ones. But that's pretty typical, you know that that you you kind of you, you look at your production schedule. You look when you can release it. You you know a lot of these beers uh, tend to be cold weather weather beers, so probably not yeah. a lot of them are going to be released in in May and June and July. Um, but so so that kind of dictates some of that, but. I, I will I will say that Breakside is old school in one way, even though this is like a new school approach uh, and a very successful one, is that they're packaging this 11.9% beer in a 22-ounce bomber bottle. Totally. I know. That's Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it, it's really interesting. I You know, I asked them how the business part of this worked out. Uh, you know, these are high they, these are high margin beers. But also, yeah. I do think the package matters, and it seems like this is kind of a, a – I, I, I've got my next beer, which is also in a 22, so I'm looking at that too. It's also a brewery that's pretty famous for its ones. So I don't want to step on the lead, but uh, it, he, but, but uh, Ben Edmonds there told me that the – the most, almost all that beer, most the, the the large majority of that beer will be sold at the brewery anyway. So, uh, um, I still, yeah, but I think it's kind of there is this holdover. Like we've 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 transitioned to cans now. Like that's done. Like people accept craft beer in cans. It's good beer. It's not a problem. But I still think that the like specialty beers. Uh, and again, I think as an economist, I think about signaling. Right, this sort of big bottle uh, uh, sort of emphasizes that. You know, that you get to put a big label on it. It's a big bottle. It's something different, you know, more like a wine bottle, right? Like something right. that you would think. And if you put it in this little dinky bottle, then somehow it diminishes. You know, it. Uh, I, th- I do think that's part of the psychology. Um, even though what you, <laughs> what you really want to drink is about eight ounces of this and not 22. Right. <laughs> and, and I think part of that psychology is cultural. You know, we, we have, we have sure. conditioned ourselves for 25 years to get these in giant bottles and they, you know, many of them like the, I'll just admit it. I've got a Fremont coming up. Uh, and oh, so good. they, they actually did the, <laughs> the, the classic thing that I hate, uh, which they waxed <gasps> the damn thing. Uh, so that, Hey, well, so did breaks that, although it's not actually wax, it's like plastic, but it's supposed to look like wax. Well, that's so much that's better. What, I did before we, no, I was going to say that's worse. Like wax is wax. Wax is sweet. Yeah, wax is sweet. Wax is sweet, my ass. You got to sit there and pluck it off, and <laughs> oh man, your- they have a little string you can pull the thing off, right? Not, not Fremont. No. Sorry, Fremont. I know this beer is going to be amazing, but don't. Uh, nobody should ever put wax on a damn beer bottle. <laughs> don't listen to him, Fremont. Hey, psst, Fremont, don't listen to him. <laughs> this isn't what he's talking about. This, he's just an old curmudgeon. This, what a crank! Listen to him. This is an opportunity for you to weigh in with your opinions. Uh, if you waxing, if you, yes or no? If you stay on the podcast for long enough, you'll hear him yelling at the kids in the front of his house. Hey, you kids, get off my lawn. Uh, Fremont has an amazing barrel age program. We so uh, go back to the pod archive, and you can find our visit to Fremont. Where we go to their absolutely ginormous 
barrel age room, barrel room that just goes on. It's like, you remember at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, again, for those of you who, you know, are older. R90? Yeah, exactly. There was a movie, kids, called Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think actually it still it still persists pretty well through the youngsters. Yeah, I think so. But anyway, at the very end, they put away the Ark and the government the government uh, storage facility, and then it just the, the camera pans out, and you just think it's like acres and acres and acres and acres. But that's Fremont, basically. Just acres and acres. <laughs> and, uh, and they know what they're doing. And I will confess that when we visited them, I didn't realize that's what all the beer geeks knew about them. I knew that they had this program, but I actually just loved Interurban, their IPA. And I was like, man, this is the guy, these are the guys that make that amazing IPA. We should go check them out. And then I learned about that, and then we they gave us a few bottles. We took them home, and we were like, oh, my God. Yeah, and so here, here I'm going to admit something, which is as well. I kind of admitted already. I wasn't the biggest fan of barrel aged bourbon beers, and uh, but I was polite. <laughs> and they were very like like people. Uh, they took us to this room where they had all the bottles ready to go, and people are like, they're going to line up for hours or something. Like these are very rare beers, and the geeks are crazy for them. And like they gave us a couple of bottles. Yeah, and felt and, very- and they had them in like in pallets all around, like little like like pyramids of jewels and matt lincecum said pick a couple of bottles you guys if you want a couple of bottles pick them out and we're like i don't know how to choose i don't know how to choose <laughs> we were so dumb it's like oh this one's gonna be like the big like everyone's gonna be claiming this is gonna be so rare and i'm like okay i'll take one of those. <laughs> that's what i did yeah I, I did that that was unicorn tears i believe that was unicorn tears exactly that was amazing yeah that was a pretty badass beer in fact so those are the first two uh barrel aged beers that i will tell you that i absolutely loved like there's other beers that i appreciated prior to that but those were the first barrel aged beers that i loved i adored i was like wow i guess there's one other there's the abyss that the shoots put out that was the first barrel aged beer that i was really impressed with uh, Really impressed with, yeah. That was really fabulous. But this, the, but the, but I had kind of gone off them, and then Fremont showed me the way. Well, I have in front of me, which I've decanted now, and I'm smelling, and actually have okay. sipped once already. I have Brew Five Thousand, their five thousandth beer. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Congrats, by the way, thank you. And it is an English style barley wine. It's a dark barley wine. It's quite it's quite dark. Uh, many people would pour this out and immediately think of it as a stout. But if you if you look at it, it's actually a bright beer. And um, at the edge of the glass, it's fairly clear. So there's it's it's not nearly as dark as a stout. Um, and it so there's bourbon in it, but it's also it's made with Maris Otter. Uh, and yes, uh, <laughs> then it's good to begin with. You can you can smell the Maris Otter in the palate. In, in the nose. Like, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry that we did not get together. You would have liked this beer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's my bad. I'm I su- I'm suffering for that. Hmm. Yeah, it's very much an English barley wine. It's um. So let's take a little quick mm. side note. What, what, what does that mean? Um, English barley wines are 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 strong ales made with uh, uh, not a huge amount of hops that are distinguished from American. Uh, when, when Americans made these things, they put all the hops in. They were like, how many mm-hmm. hops do we have? Let's put them all in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were bracingly bitter. I'm talking about beers like 
uh, Anchor's Foghorn or Old Crustacean right. from Rogue, these kinds of old school uh, barley wines. Yeah, bracingly yeah. bitter is right. Yeah. Uh, English barley wines are made m- much like other English beers, you know, from, from native malts and hops um, and, and not so many uh, hops. And they can actually be quite sweet. Um, right. Sometimes yeah. a little bit cloying. I have to say, I've I've, I've encountered a few yes. where it was like that. That propensity was maybe as <laughs> as as off as some of those hot bombs. Um, uh, but when they're done well, you get more than sweetness. You get the bready quality of the malts. Yeah. You get all the you get all the character, but it's just condensed and kind of more intense. And I'm getting I'm right. just getting a ton of English malts out of these things out of this one which nice. you, you would really yeah, like, would like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Mm. and it's got a little bit of bourbon i would say the bourbon is uh, a background note actually yeah i kind of remember that from the fremonts i had which is the bourbon was very lovely you know a, a, a much more subdued and a lovely note very much integrated kind of in this break side although the break side it really is very present it's just that it's integrated so well that it doesn't kind of it's very harmonious and they they um they aged it i'm reading the material here for 16 months so this mm, was okay. this was uh an you know they really let they sat on this one for a while and I think yeah. I think that's what you find. Uh, the longer that you sit on this, the the more the uh, the integration happens with the the liquor and the beer. Yeah, it takes time to age. All right, so my last beer is answers the question: What do you do when you've run out of bourbon barrels, Chardonnay barrels, Pinot Noir barrels, rum barrels? Well, it turns out. <laughs> that uh, there are maple syrup producers who will age their syrup on bourbon barrels. And then when they're done aging the syrup on bourbon barrels, you can stick beer in them. And that's what this is. This is Freem. Which was news to us. News to us. Yeah, we looked this up, by the way. I'm I'm sounding very smart. But uh, (laughs) the reason we we looked this up because it says maple barrel aged smoke porter. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. What the hell? Do, ma- do maple syrup producers use barrels? I thought they just like use tin buckets, got the syrup, boiled it down, put it in bottles, and off you go. Right. Well, it turns out that there are maple barrel there are maple producers who also want different flavor characteristics of their maple syrup. And so they'll do the same thing. They'll put them in bourbon barrels, get some bourbon out of them, and then they're done with the barrels. And off they go to Oregon. Uh, and uh, Freem has Got some <laughs> and put some beer in them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This is a smoked porter they put in maple uh, syrup bourbon barrels. I don't know how to describe them, but you get the point. You're, so here we go. It's like a double America maple syrup and bourbon. It is. This is the most American beer you will ever know. <laughs> <laughs> Kentucky bourbon, Vermont maple syrup. Actually, I don't know. They come from Vermont, but I'm gonna say they come from Vermont. Vermont maple syrup out to Oregon to put craft beer. In. What? That is Americana. That is like the most American thing I've ever heard. It's very American. All right. So now, mm. okay, smoke smoke coming through. Holy moly. This this Fremont, I got to say, I, you probably can't buy this. It's probably just cruel that I'm tasting it on the air because I, I don't know if you can buy it anymore or or not. But, um, but the bottle I have is amazing. Well, I mean, you had – I think you took two bottles – from when they offered us and I took two bottles and then there's that. I mean, that's five bottles. Now we've had all exceptional. 
Yeah. I'm pretty I'm pretty confident to say, go find a bottle from Fremont's Barrel Aging Program and you will love it. That's right. Neat. And if you don't love it, then you just don't love that kind of beer. That's fine. Like like everything, uh, people are are good at crafting these things or they're less good. <laughs> and uh, Fremont, I don't know who does, I don't know who their seller person is there, but, um, or their blenders, but boy, oh boy, they do a great job. Holy smoke, Jeff. The joke's on you, man. Well, you probably have more of this stuff, but this is amazing. This beer. I don't even know how to begin. Well, you have to so, because uh, okay. This so is the first a lot going on. The first, yeah, the first note that comes to my nose is actually the smoke, and then behind that is a little tiny hint of bourbon. Okay. No maple. No maple in the nose, as far as I can tell. Then you take a, a, a gulp. I'm going to do it again just so I have it present. Mmm, man. And then you've got the roast smoke and the bourbon together with this sort of a hint of sweet. It's not, I don't want to give you any sense that it's cloying at all. It's not at all, but it's got that maple. Imagine the maple flavor without the sweetness sort of kind of there. I was concerned it was going to cloy because the thing. No, 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 not at all. And then it washes out and what's left on your tongue is this little maple note, this zingy maple note. Oh, interesting. I like the aftertaste. it's amazing. How does the roast and the maple? I've never work had together? anything. I've never had anything like this. How does how does the roast and the maple? Yeah, uh, yeah. It wouldn't. Uh, well, okay. The or, roast or, or the smoke? The smoke. I'm sorry. Yes, the smoke. Yeah. The thing is, the smoke is more on the nose, mm-hmm. and then on the tongue, it's more roast. There's a little bit of bitter hop too there too. Uh, and um, uh, the smoke sort of permeates a little bit, but it's a very subtly smoke. That's another thing that turns out there's a lot of stuff I don't like. <laughs> another thing, I, I really don't like smoked beers. Like, I just don't like them at all. Like, it's smoke, I could use it, do without smoke at all. Uh, but this one actually is um, so subtle, and it's really kind of a nice note that kind of uh, blends with the maple in a way that's, you know, because it's more kind of a, Oh, more like a, a, a there's retronasal and what's the front part of the nasal? Ortho nasal. Yeah, so if you think about the the smoke coming in the ortho nasal part, the front part of your nose. Uh-huh. And then the maple kind of being more of a retronasal uh-huh. and then they kind of meet together in your sinuses. <laughs> <laughs> in your middle nasal. And and dance. And they dance. <laughs> they dance to the sweet sweet music of bourbon. I don't know. This is a really complex and amazing because you can very clearly distinguish those flavors but they they uh hit you in different parts of the of the experience so as i said retronasal orthonasal on your on your palate uh the mouthfeel is rich and and lovely i mean it's just a it's a it's fantastic i (laughs) I, really good i think hearing you talk about this and hearing us talk about this suggests one of the reasons why these are an enduring favorite among among craft beer fans they're really uh fun to drink socially you know um it's why at 22 you don't want to drink these are not beers to drink alone these are beers to, to share with people and that's and a good t- point and talk about you know they're kind of like the divas of the beer world like you some beers like a hellas you, you want that beer to accompany and but stay out of the way of the conversation like that. That beer is there for you to enjoy while you're doing other things. But these are beers for you to focus all your attention on and really enjoy and talk about. And it's 
really fun to do that as we're experiencing right now. It's really, it's actually quite pleasant for me to hear you talk about that beer because I can, I can conjure it in my mind. Yeah. I'm now reading the label and, and they, they talk about notes and, 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 and this is correct. They say notes of pecan pie, rich toffee and dark chocolate. Uh, they're all there. If you, if you look for them, like pecan pie is perfect. Like, I think that's, uh, because, um, uh, pecan pie has a little bit of that mapley sense, um, even though I don't, it's not maple, right? But, uh, but that kind of rich nuttiness, and there's a little bit of chocolate in the background too. Um, toffee, just from the again, the sort of sugar maple kind of stuff. It's 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 great. <laughs> it's really really good. Well, we'll have to get together and taste some more of these beers together. You have a, you have one more of these, I hope. I don't know that. No, I, don't, I don't think I do. Point. They, they, oh, uh, I did it. I, 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 I tasted, I, I did taste it at one point. Um, actually Freem invited me out to talk to the Freemsters union, local 180 or whatever that's called their, their bottle club. Uh, uh-huh. and in the middle of winter, I got to go out to the new tasting facility or the new blending facility out, uh, in, uh, Cascade Locks. Cascade Locks. Yeah. And there were only three people in this giant facility, so or four people in this giant <laughs> facility, so it was totally socially distanced. It was totally safe. And we did a, a Zoom event and we tasted these beers with the with the with the brewer and cellarman out there. And uh, it was a lot of fun to taste these beers and they 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 gave me some beer to bring home. And so um, that's one of those. And uh, this is one of those beers that I would not pick off the shelf. Like I read maple barrel aged smoke porter. I'd be like, yeah, maple. No smoke. No, thank you. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> and there would be a shame because this is really like, I, those are not things that I would naturally gravitate toward, but these are, it, it's pulled off exceptionally well. Well, I think that's, that's another important point. The, the a lot of breweries do barrel aging, but there, there, I've actually had a, a fair number of these beers that I, I consider not well made, um, and they're very, they're always very intense. And I think that you know, if you're just looking for, you know, a, a blast of like, like thrash metal, these are sort of the thrash metal uh, <laughs> beers of the beer world. Uh, it, you know, yeah. it, it'll, it'll, it'll hit you. But uh, once you've sampled a few and see how integration of flavors works and and the skill in blending and and these, you know. Um, you know, like the beer that I'm drinking now, the uh, the quality of the the base malt, uh, the Maris Otter, is such an important part of this, and that's really mm-hmm. hard to do in a beer that's 12. percent You know, it's really hard to yeah. have a, the base that's that's been barrel aged. It's really hard to communicate, even if it even if it wasn't barrel aged, it would be hard to communicate uh, a nice clear flavor of the Maris Otter. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> trusting the brewery to do their job is is uh you, you kind of have to choose the breweries wisely and i think it's fair to say that that you know um, uh, only a minority of these are are really well done they're hard to do blending is blending is challenging um making these beers is kind of challenging yeah but i mean i think it's another example of the fact that we're living in this amazing golden age of of craft beer that there's so much experience now that um uh that there's more good examples of bad now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great time to be alive and liking beer, <laughs> but these, so, so the four beers we've tried just to wrap up Fremont wait, from wait, Seattle. Before you do that, I have oh, to make one more comment about this, 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 uh, Fremont bottle 5,000. Yep. This, um, now I've, I've drunk down, I've got a kind of a goblety glass here and I've drunk down far enough so that it's, it's kind of flat at the bottom of the, the, the glass. And, 
it is huh? absolutely as clear as a bell. It is really ah. impressively clear, which, uh, I, you know, that that is a signal that the brewers took a lot of care in making this beer. And it's something, if you're tasting beer, look at clarity. So sometimes clarity is, is not a part of the, the, the style of beer, so it's not an issue. But um, when you see a brewery make a, a beer that's perfectly clear, um, there's a lot of craft that goes into that. And uh, yeah. it's usually a brewery. It's usually a sign that it's a brewery that's taking care of the things that they don't get a lot of credit for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just want to point that out. If you do taste this beer or another one of their barrel aged beers, if you can see the clarity, you'll be impressed. And it's a it's a little wink from the brewers that uh, this is a good beer. Yeah. The breakside's so dark that there's not a lot of light that gets through, and it's an impressive looking beer in that sense. Right. The the frame light does get through, and it's this amazing sort of brownish red color, and also very clear. You can tell so. Uh, beautiful looking beers as well. Nice. So as I was going to say, Fremont and Seattle, they're 5,000. We tried that. Freem's maple barrel aged uh, smoked porter. Freem from Hood River, Oregon. Breakside from Portland, Oregon. Really, Milwaukee, Oregon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And that is that is that is where their, 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 their barrel program is down in Milwaukee. So, Yep. Uh, I drive by there all the time now. I'm taking my kid to school. Nice. Uh, their space, space music. Uh, Bell aged stout and Goose Island, the 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 OG, the OG baby. Goose Island, Bourbon County coffee stout. So four great examples of this uh, type of beer that's going to be uh, hitting the shelves in great numbers soon. So look for them. Indeed. All right, Jeff, we should move on to the mailbag. Indeed. Uh, thanks again to everyone who, who who responds. Please do send us your questions, comments, suggestions. But today we've got a couple of entries. The first. Uh, is from Bjorn Musgard. I hope that I got that right, Bjorn. Location unknown, Jeff writes. So Bjorn, I can take some wild guesses, but uh, you should let us know. I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Bjorn is not from uh, Milwaukee, Oregon. I think, Oregon. I think I think he may actually I think he may actually earn that name authentically. Uh, <laughs> By the way, that is the best name ever. It is. I would love to. I would love to be called Bjorn Musgard. Totally. <laughs> uh, <it's, laughs> with two A's, it's great. Okay, uh, he writes. Uh, hello, Mr. Allworth. Just kidding. Hello, Jeff. I've followed yours and Patrick's podcast uh, show for a good year now, and I always look forward to a new show. Well, thank you, Bjorn. I listen to a few U.S. beard podcasts, and my wife refers to them with descriptions like the throaty guy, the bros, and the nice ones. You and Patrick are the latter. Oh, oh that's nice. I'm really glad I'm not the throaty guy. <laughs> I'm really glad I'm I just, not the bro. We're not the bros. <laughs> not the bros, yeah. I just want to let you know I appreciate the content. And I'm almost more interested in the updates on the weather in Portland than in my own hometown. Tell us where that is, Bjorn, please. That's right. Thank you both for a great show with a great attitude. Well, that's a really nice letter first, Bjorn. Thank you very much. And thank you, Jeff, for putting that. That makes my day. I know. Me too. And that's why I threw it in there. And you know what, Bjorn? I don't know that we talked about the weather today. It was actually quite brightly sunny earlier. And now it's clouding up because it's spring in Portland, Oregon. And that's what happens. So uh, that's, that's the weather update for today. I hope it's nice in your town, Bjorn. I'd like to know where that is. Let us know. We'll send you one of our, well, once we figure out how, who's going to make our t-shirts, we'll send you a t-shirt. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, uh, Tim from, your turn. Tim from Portland. This this one was edited for length, uh, but I caught the, I think the nut of it. I would really like to see brewers label the beer hazy if it is. 
I can't count the number of times I've been burned choosing a random beer to try for the first time, hoping for a standard clear IPA. I'm not going to spend 10 minutes scrolling through brewery websites in the vain attempt <laughs> just to see if the beer is cloudy or not. I enjoy the diversity we have now. Just give me a fair chance to know what's in the damn can before I buy it. Well, So that's I, really interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, it flies in the in, in the in the face of our earlier advice to call everything IPA and sucker the drinker into drinking it. Uh, but this is the thing. Like early on, uh, and we're talking not that early on, but you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, there are a lot of IPAs in the Pacific Northwest that were just you know unfiltered and unconditioned, and they were darn cloudy. That was just kind of their you know their nature. And that was sort of the house style, I don't know, regional style, right? Like a lot of these, and I loved it. Like I, I thought that was fantastic. It felt really organic and lovely. Uh, and now, now they've got a, they've got their own brand name. Like Madison Abbey has come along and called. You got to call these things hazy. But there's a difference between sort of this intentional haziness and just a beer that you choose not to filter and and uh, uh, and condition to brightness. You know. That's right, and. and- I've been hearing this more and more that there are a bunch of people out there for whom IPA means a certain thing and it's an older Mm -hmm. definition and it means uh, not necessarily aggressive bitterness, but present bitterness, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. a a stiffness to the beer. And um, I think I, 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 my guess is uh, for many people, it means that citrusy piney quality, uh, Uh which uh, of the hops. And so more modern, juicy beers whether they're clear or not um are are not satisfying to drinkers who like older ipas and we don't have any language to distinguish between those whether they're clear or not you know you're you're talking about the flavor components i don't think anybody actually cares what it looks like they care what it tastes like so i think tim cares what it looks like i have an actually an answer for this you know how like almost every ipa you can pick up and they'll say ibu's even still, they'll still still say IBUs right. on them. Yeah, yeah. Well, they should put the the Jeff and Patrick hazometer on. You're that. right. The patented hazometer, like and they should the hazometer. The hazometer. It's like a. It's it's a, you know, it's what you need. You do have to pay us royalty for doing that. Exactly. Since it's fat, fake patented, they owe us money. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So don't think you can just put that on your can without paying us. Money. <laughs> That's right. That's going to cost you, but. Your customer is going to be good because you're going to have the haze meter on there and people will know exactly what to expect when they open that can. This is actually, by the way, and, and I didn't think about this till this very moment, but this is one of those, um, uh, I'm trying to think out how do you want to say this? So one of the nice things about a glass bottle is you can see the beer. Now, not a little bit less, of course, in a, in a brown bottle and a green bottle a little bit more. And of course, in a clear bottle, you see everything, but then sun sucks for beer so uh uh but now that it's in a can you just have no idea like what's inside you can't even hold it up to the light and have any any clue um so that's another issue of these of this can so even more reason to put the jeff and patrick hazemeter on your can oh i changed it no sorry patrick and jeff hazemeter on your can tm patent pending licensing uh requirements uh please yeah. please we email me powerful new york law firm <laughs> that will sh- track you down if you try to do so <laughs> right. but actually but in all seriousness i mean you know there's nothing wrong with with uh, uh i think i think that the, the takeaway is that brewers should uh think about the way that they're communicating their beer to uh to buyers and i I, I always think more information is better. So if there's an easy way to sort of make sure your your customers know what they're getting, I think that's a good idea. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 
I, 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 I totally endorse the Tim sentiment, which is yes, when I, I do too. When I invest in a beer, I would like to find some some information on the bottle or can that tells me what I'm going to find inside. That is 100 percent endorsable. I, I got to say that's you, <laughs> that's a that's like a basic requirement for the information that should be on the bottle or can. Yeah, that was the thing. You know, um, we we visited when we went to uh, the United Kingdom long ago for your first beer Bible. You know, we visited Green King, and they they were using these clear bottles. We thought that was insane. Still, kind of think that's insane. It was definitely but, insane. But it does. I mean, clear glass bottles do highlight the beer beautifully, and they're beautiful beers that they produce. Uh, but yeah, not good for the beer. So, uh, uh, so in all seriousness. Um, you can write to Jeff at beerbundle.com and he'll give you the Hazen meter, uh, 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 pricing schedule. That's right. <laughs> so brewers get on it. Uh, All right. uh, uh, yeah. So we definitely endorse your senti- sentiment, Tim. And, uh, to those brewers out there, I do think that the, the more you can communicate about what's inside the can, the better. Indeed. All right. A few words going out. First off, please, uh, getting back to our appeal, remember to support community radio. Remember that X-Ray FM is community-supported radio. It's non-commercial. It relies on listener support. So please make a commitment to X-Ray right now by calling 503-233-X-Ray. That's 503-233-9729 or going online at x-ray.com slash donate. No, dot FM. X-Ray dot FM. What did I say? You said dot com, you drunk fool. Blame the barrel aged out. Uh, I was I was reading it too. Amazing. I'm sitting here actually reading the script. So xray.fm slash donate. My apologies. Please figure that one out. That's right. I'm old and unwise. Uh, no, we really would appreciate you supporting the radio station. The radio station has been great to us and we're very pleased um, to have our show on the radio. We are. They're great. Remember that you can subscribe to us on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, by the way, Jeff, there's probably like six more of these now. Uh, it's been like a couple of years since you wrote this script. <laughs> or wherever you get your podcasts. See, that's yeah, that's, a writer, yeah. that's a writer's trick right there, my friend. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> when you do subscribe to us, don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments. Uh, and thank you very much for those today. And they're great. We really appreciate it. So keep doing it. You can send it to Jeff at beervanablog.com or you can find him on Twitter at beervanapod. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog and he tweets at beervana. And Patrick tweets at beernomics. All right. Uh, I have two barrel aged beers. I, I can cheers myself with the two barrel aged yeah, beers. Me too. So I. On one hand, in my left hand, I have the Breakside Space Music Vintage 2021. Amazing, fantastic, straightforward, barrel-aged Imperial Stout. In my right hand, <laughs> I have the Maple Barrel-Aged smoke porter, Smoked Porter from Frame, uh, which is just this amazing melange, melange of flavors. Either one will set you up, so go find them. And I have Fremont uh, Batch 5000 and Bourbon County's now uh, uh, slightly older uh, coffee stout. Yeah, that's going to be a little hard to find unless you have a little Wayback Machine you can go to 2014. That's right. But you can find the, the current versions now. So. But if you lay away these beers now, you in, in seven years, you can also try them and see what happens. We didn't, even, we didn't even talk about that, but yeah, there you go. That's another thing you can do. Oh, aging beer. That's one we could talk about. 
Yeah. That's a future site, a future, a future podcast coming to uh, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. By the way, future I just show. have to say this really quick anecdote, which is I was cleaning out my basement the other day. Well, not the other day, months ago, but I was pulling away a box and behind the box was an old Deschutes Abyss. Oh, it was like, nice. I know. It was like finding buried treasure. <laughs> it's, it was from like 2009 or something, <laughs> something like that. I was like, oh, I completely forgot I put this aside. <laughs> I still haven't opened it. I'm going to open it soon. Nice. Maybe with you. All right. I'm high on that. All right. Uh, cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick.